made you and I for relationship, for dynamic connection, not only with Him, but with one another. And that's why over the last three months, it's been so painful for so many people because when we've been in isolation and quarantine and not able to connect with one another, I'll tell you, a whole sort of problems begin to emerge. For example, things that we thought and took for granted, like hanging out with some friends and having barbecues. When you're not able to do that, when you're deprived from doing that, that normal human interaction, it, it begins to break down things on the inside of us. Now, I know what some of you guys are saying. Well, Pastor, you know, we did have a relationship. We were all on Zoom. I want to say this respectfully. I appreciate technology, but there's nothing like human interaction, one-on-one, group-on-group, connecting with one another. It's interesting when I began to think about some of the things in my life. I, I wrote down some of these things, just the, the going out to dinner with friends. I mean, restaurants were empty and there was no interaction. Now, I do like to refuel alone at times. I, I like a good book. I know many of you like to read a good book, but, but when it's all you can do. Or you can only hang out by yourself. In other words, when you're forced into quarantine and you're isolated relationally, things begin to break down on the inside. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Well, is that scientifically proven, Pastor? I mean, psychologically, I mean, is that really uh, metered out demographically? Or let me say this, statistically, can you really prove that? Well, the truth is you can. The human heart is made for connection. There's a deep hunger in each one of our lives for connection. And that's why it's been so painful for so many people the last three months. Now, thank God that at least in our nation, many of the restrictions are being lessened. And now people are able to get out and do things and connect with one another. And the reason why this is so important, I I read this study by the Almeda County. uh, And it was an amazing study headed by a Harvard social scientist, and it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. And here, it was about studying human interaction and the need for human interaction. Listen to some of these findings. Researchers found the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had... Bad health habits such as smoking, poor eating, overweight, they abused alcohol, yet had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great habits but were isolated relationally. In other words, it's better to eat bluebell ice cream with good friends than to eat seaweed smoothies alone. So it's practically demonstrated in study after study the need for human relationships. And that's why it's been so painful for so many people, isolated in their homes, isolated from one another. See, God created you and I for relationship. As a matter of fact, when you open the Bible, the Bible is a a book about relationship. Of course, our relationship with God, but then relationship with one another. You begin to think in the Bible about the great relationships the great men and women that had connection. I wrote down some that, that are just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You, you think about uh, the different ones that have connected over the years. You think about Mary and Elizabeth. You think about Paul and 
Barnabas. You think about all the different relationships, Elijah and Elisha. Why is that so important? Because God created you for relationship. God created me for relationship. The consistent finding of study after study is friends make your life better. Friends make your life stronger. Friends help you to actually live longer. I love the scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's written by Solomon in the Old Testament. Here's what the scripture says, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up again. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Scripture is replete with example that we are better together. That you and I need one another, that we need relationship. The principle is aged old. It's all the way from thousands of years ago in the scripture. It's, it's, it's all throughout the Bible that God created you for relationship. And God created me for relationship. The problem is, is that if you've ever been in a relationship and you've had a sting or the pain of a betrayal in a relationship, or you've been disappointed, well, I want to help everybody. If you have a relationship with another human being at some point in time, you are going to be disappointed. And so what do we do? Well, we begin to discount relationships in our lives until we don't have any around us. And that was what was so painful about quarantine, not being able to connect with people. Oh, sure, you could on the phone, but hanging out and going to restaurants and doing recreation and going to the gym and all of those things. And, and it became so pronounced in our life. Wow, I need people. I need to be around people. And maybe that's where you are. You, you are recognizing in your own soul that as you've come out of quarantine, there's still isolation in your heart because, because there's something in you that is not really engaging yet with other people. Because maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe even something happened over the last three months. You were disappointed maybe by an employer, an employee. Maybe you were disappointed by somebody in your own home and you thought, you know what, I'm going to wall off. I'm not going to let anybody hurt me. You see, healthy relationships have both celebration but also forgiveness. A lot of celebrating, man, you know, God's with you. You're wonderful to be with. And there's a lot of forgiveness. Why? Because we get disappointed by humans. We all get disappointed. And by the way, we disappoint one another. And that's why the writer talks about the importance of relationships and why we need one another. By the way, the word community is a a word that we use. I, I remember growing up as a kid, community to me meant kind of the, the, a neighborhood or, or, or a place geographically, but community is a word that's now used about relationships. And, and you'll hear that in our church. You'll hear Church of the King talk about you need community. What we're saying is you need one another. What we're saying is you need relationship. Why? Because God created you and I for relationship. I believe in our culture, the lost art of friendship building is really pervasive. What does it take to really build friendship? I, I know in my life, I, I've been working a long time. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better leader, but I want to be a better friend. And, and I believe there are some skills. There are some, 
some aptitudes and some things that we need to, to employ if we want to build friendship with one another. Again, in the Bible, you begin to think about great relationships in the Bible. You begin to think about there are somewhat uh, intrinsic things that are latent within those relationships. In other words, there are things that people possessed. They routinely did. And when they did that, it helped their ability to connect with others. When they didn't do that, it detracted. It subtracted from them connecting with others. Again, I think about Jesus and his disciples and how he walked with his disciples. I think about the godly relationships in there. And by the way, Judas betrayed Jesus, and yet he's still connected with his disciples. I think about the relationship that Jesus actually had with John, John the Beloved, and Peter, James, and John, he was closer with actually three than, than the rest of the twelve. He was closest with John. And, and there was relationships, and there was a lot of championing of one another. And there was also forgiveness, extending of forgiveness. I think about Ruth and Naomi. Again, I think about Paul and Barnabas. But, but, but the relationship in the Bible that I love to go back to over and over, that I believe typifies a true God relationship. And by the way, there are principles in this relationship that you and I can subscribe to and we can build into our life. The framework of our world that we can build relationships as we learn the principle of how Jonathan and David connected. It's a covenant relationship, a God relationship, a God-ordained relationship, very powerful relationship. David and Jonathan became friends right after David killed Goliath. And I want to read that account, and then I want to extract from this story some principles, because I really believe that all of us, as we have come out of quarantine and we're going back, and, and I know it's a process, but, but all of us in our lives, we are, we are re-engaging in culture. We're re-engaging in work. We're all re-engaging with one another. And I believe that, that as we employ these biblical principles of how to how to build friendship God's way. How we can be stronger. In other words, how we can press reset. And some of you, again, may have damaged relationships. I believe that you can always start over. No one, Listen, no one is ever too old to not start over. As long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And God has a plan for your life. And part of God's plan, believe it or not, is friendship and relationship with others. If you have your Bible, or you can follow along in the screen, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, I love, I love this story, the beauty and the power of friendship. Right after David kills Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine, he was a giant that taunted the armies of Israel, and, and God raised up David, a little shepherd boy, and he came up, and, and of course, many of you have heard of the story, and but he had a slingshot and five smooth stones and he, he flung one of those stones and hit that big Philistine giant, that giant died. And it was, it was right after that that this friendship was forged. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, listen to this. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, that's Jonathan's dad, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. And because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor. 
even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, would you think about this for a moment? From this point onward, Jonathan is willing to do anything to help David. And that's good because David needed a lot of help. David was taken out of his comfort zone. I want you to think about this for a moment. In, in, in a very short period of time, he goes from the backside of the desert as a shepherd to a national hero after defeating Goliath. And you know what happens after you experience success? Some of you guys have, whether you started a business or something happened and God really blessed you and all of a sudden, you know, even among your family or friends and, and God starts raising you up and he's anointed you and, and that's what happened to David. And, and it was an emotional roller coaster for him and he needed a friend. And Jonathan was that. And Saul was very furious about David's exploits. So Saul was jealous and Saul was insecure. And that's why, and that's why it was so important for, for David to have a friend. Can I tell you something? Life is hard. And all of us go through trials in life. And we all go through tribulation. We all experience letdowns and disappointments by life, by people, by things. But boy, there's nothing like having a friend. There's nothing like having somebody come alongside to encourage you, to build you up, to not compete with you, but to affirm you, to love you. Well, that's where David was. He had just defeated this giant, and he was a national hero. And his whole life had taken on a new dimension. Not to mention the fact that the king of Israel, Saul, was jealous of what really happened. At first he tried to draw David to him, but then he was jealous of him. And that's why Jonathan's friendship was so important. It was so important and so valuable. He so desperately needed this friend. Every turn that David went through, Jonathan was there. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a friend like that in your life? Is there anybody in your life that you can honestly say is for you, that's close to you, that encourages you? Let me flip it around. Is there anybody, if you're honest, if you're honest, if we're all honest, if I'm honest, are we that to anybody? Are we an encourager? Are we an affirmer of others? I want to give you three things, and I think this is so important for all of us, straight from this story, Three ways to build healthy relationships. I believe that all of us, it's time for us to push reset. We all need to learn the lost art of friendship making. Uh, we, we need to be the man, be the woman, be the person that God's called us to be. Yes, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also to love one another, to bless one another, to encourage one another, to be the friend, to receive friendship, but also to give friendship. I want to talk to you today about three ways to build healthy relationships. Number one, we've got to learn to focus on one another's potential. Jonathan could have been very insecure and cautious of David, but he had the humility to see the greatness and the potential that God had placed on David's life. He had the wisdom to know the gifts and the callings that God had placed upon David's life. He knew he had a focus, listen, on David's potential. And by the way, it doesn't mean at all that he didn't see David's weaknesses. See, that's a misnomer relationship. We think, well, I can build a good relationship with that person. Why? Because they're so filled with strengths. Oh, just hang out for a little while. <laughs> hang around me. Hang around anybody. You're going to see there's two sides. There's great strengths, but there's also, the flip side, great weaknesses. And what Jonathan was able to do is he, he was able to see David's strengths and celebrate his strengths, but he was also able to minimize David's weaknesses. In other words, he didn't take advantage of those. See, a good friend 
knows how to maximize another friend's strengths and, and to minimize. It doesn't mean that you don't confront someone. It doesn't mean that there aren't appropriate times to own things. Absolutely there are. When we need to own up and, and we need to humble ourselves. But, but I'm talking about day in and day out consistently. You know what Jonathan did? He saw the weaknesses in David's life. But, but, but he was able to, to maximize and, let me say this, focus in on the positives. There is an age-old statement that says familiarity can breed contempt. It really can. You, you know how that works. You get around somebody. For example, even in a dating relationship. You get around somebody and you're just in awe about them. It's like, they're amazing. They're ama- How many of you guys remember when you were dating your spouse, those of you that are married, and you'd be on the phone like for hours and hours and hours? Now, when I started dating Jennifer, this is many years ago, we didn't have cell phones. We weren't using a cell phone. We were using a, a, a landline phone. And, and you, know, you know what happens when it starts, when you fall asleep and that phone say, and it makes that horrible noise, but you're so tired because you're so in love and you're so enamored. But over time, as Jennifer got to know me a little bit better, her prince in shining armor, I'm just joking, as she got to see the other side. There's, there's, there's always strengths and there's weaknesses, but good friends see the potential. It's not that they don't see the other, they, they focus on the potential. And again, I want to say this and I want to be clear, it's not that we don't speak truth to our friends. There's moments to speak truth where our friends need to own things, but but consistently, we're always trying to maximize and trying to capitalize on the good in the other. I thank God for my wife. Because, you know, it's interesting. People say, you know, I love to be around Pastor Steve. Well, well, time out. Time out. It's not always easy being around me. I'm extremely high energy. I'm very hyperactive. Even at my age, I'm what's called a DI on the disc analysis. I'm all the things that, that, but there's, uh, that are, make a leader, but there's also great weaknesses attached to that. I can be over-project-oriented. I can hold people accountable, even in my own home, to the expense of intimacy at times. Can I have a witness? The reality is, is that there are strengths in my life, but there's also weaknesses. There's strengths in Jennifer's life. There's only one weakness. But anyway, I can't tell you. I cannot tell you what it is. I'm just playing. The thing that I love about Jonathan is he saw David. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what was going on in his life. But but he chose to cover his friend. Remember, as we add value to our friends, as we see their potential, we look for the possibilities in them. Then we help to discover and to develop their abilities. We place a high value on them. We put a 10 on their forehead. We assume their motives are good. We're not, we're not always assuming everything's bad. There's always this conspiracy and everything. No, 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 time out. We're going we're gonna to value them at a high level and we're going to see the best in them. Jonathan saw the best in David, his friend. Number two, if you and I want to build good friendship, if we want to be that for other people, if we want that, like the book of Proverbs says, if you want friends, you got to be friendly. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. Well, well Jonathan wanted friendship, but, but Jonathan gave friendship. Number two, the second thing that Jonathan did is he learned how to honor others with his words. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4. We hear encouraging words from Jonathan during a critical moment. This is a critical moment. By the way, you, know, you, you, you want to know when you need friends? It's when you need them. This is a critical moment. David's running for his life. 
Jonathan's dad is crazy. He's throwing spears at Jonathan's friend David. And at a very critical point, very critical, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4, the Bible says, So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Another translation says, Whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. Oh man, those words. So powerful. There's been times in my life where I've been down, I've been discouraged, going through trials and tribulations. And, and boy, just a call from a friend. Steve, you know, God's with you. I'm with you. What can I do for you? How can I help you? There's something about the power of words and friendship. You know, we live in a sarcastic culture. And I, I, one of the things I have to watch is that I can be sarcastic at times. But, but words can really hurt people. And in friendship, sometimes, we, sometimes we're not honest about it, but, but friends can say things that, that really cut down and they belittle and they, they dehumanize and they, it, it hurts. But, but, but good friends, good marriages, good parents with kids, good, good church members and pastors to church people and people, good political leaders, good, good whatever it is, coaches to players, players to coaches. There's something about their words. They watch their words. Boy, I'm learning that. I think we're all learning that. Are my words edifying? Are they building up? Are they encouraging? Or are they tearing down, demeaning, denigrating, depreciating? Jonathan said a word to David. When David was in a very vulnerable place, he said, I'm with you. I know my father. Now let me editorialize this for a moment. He said, I know my father's chasing you, David, but you need to know something. I've got your back, man. I'm walking with you, David. I'm, I'm covering you, David. Hey, listen, David, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. I'm, I'm for you. I'm not against you. There's something about the power of words and friendship. I've had to learn that in my marriage. I've had to learn that in the, my, with my coworkers. I've had to learn that with my kids. My mind can get real quick, and, and I can put my thoughts and my words together. And, and sarcasm, there's been people that have been the, the end result of, or let me say it this way, they've, they've, they've received the, the, the bad end of some of my sarcastic jokes. I thought it was funny. The problem was is nobody else was laughing. Question, how are you with your friends? Is every single conversation a joke, a mockery, a put-down or is there any time where there's a lift? I tell our kids at home, lift, lift. Are those words lifting? Are we lifting? Words really do live. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Oh, yeah, they are. Death and life. I, I, I want to be a life man. I, I, I want to be somebody that speaks life. I, I don't want to speak death. And that's what Jonathan did. Jonathan learned how to bring out the best in his friend by speaking loving, encouraging words. And we can bring the best out in our friendship by not complaining and criticizing, but, but, rather, uh, but, but rather championing and loving and, and, and lifting with our words. I want to be a good friend, and, and I want good friends. Number one, I've got to learn to, to, to see the greatness. It's not that we don't see the weaknesses, but I've got to learn to see the potential. And number two, I've got to watch my words. We've got to watch our words. There's always a right opportunity. There's always a moment that you'll have in a relationship where you can lift somebody, 
totally change the trajectory of their life based upon the vulnerability of their soul and the rightness, if that's a word, and the right fit of your word. How do we treat people with our words? Reminds me of a story of a man arriving at an airport. He saw a well-dressed businessman yelling at a porter about the way he was handling his luggage. The more irate the businessman became, the calmer the porter appeared. When the abusive man left, the next man in line complimented the porter on his restraint. The porter said, oh, it was, it was really nothing. That man's going to Miami, but his bags, they're headed to Alaska. <laughs> what we, this, when we disrespect others, I think we end up hurting ourselves, and we don't even realize it. The fact of the matter is, is that our words, your words, are important. My words are important. Jonathan was a friend. Because he saw the greatness in his other friend. He wasn't insecure. He wasn't jealous. Can you celebrate? Can you celebrate the victories in your friend? Can you celebrate if, if God blesses them and, and, and gives them something and promotes them? And maybe you're not promoted that way. Can you celebrate their achievements? Can you, can you lift them up, number two, with your words? I want to be that. I, I want to be that man. I, I want to be that person in my home and in my family I wrote this down, treat people respectfully, even if you're not treated with respect. And watch them begin to change. If they're lazy, treat them as though they're a hard worker. They may do a thousand things you don't like, but find one good thing, one compliment. Find one good thing. Parents with your children, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, friendships, co-workers. It's so easy to criticize. We live in a critical culture. It's easy to criticize. It's going with the flow in our culture. Let's go against the flow. Let's go against the grain. Be the friend that you want to be. Believe the best. Your words and my words have a way of brightening other people's day. Let me conclude with this last point. If we want to learn the skill and the lost art of friendship, number one, we've got to see the greatness in other people's lives. It doesn't mean that we don't see the weaknesses, and it doesn't mean we don't speak truth to them. When we see injury taking place, we speak truth in love. And we see them going off a cliff. But, but we consistently focus in upon their strengths and don't exploit their weaknesses. And number two, we watch our words. We watch our words and we lift. We don't demean, but we, but we lift. Number three, we practically invest in the relationship. Look at verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4. Man, I love this. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now let's remember something. This is so important. Jonathan was the heir apparent to the throne of Israel. He was the Prince Charles of Israel. He was the man, a prince in time would show his identity with his coat and his, all of these different things and his sword and his belt. And Jonathan practically invested in that relationship by giving that to David. Just think about that. Think of the security that Jonathan had. By the way, you want to be a good friend? You've got to be secure. And you've got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and practically invest in your friendships. Be a giver, not just a taker. Be somebody that deposits relationally in other people. I heard this years and years ago by a man named Stephen Covey, and he talked about we all have what's called an emotional bank account. And in that emotional bank account, we are all making 
deposits or withdrawals from the relationships around us. So we not only have an emotional bank account, but all the people around us have an emotional bank account. So the question is, and again, we understand the transaction from the financial standpoint, but have we ever thought of the transaction from the relational standpoint? And as you invest in that relationship, you're doing what? You're making a deposit. And as you extract from that relationship, you're making a withdrawal. Question, are we depositing more? You know what happens when we withdraw from our bank account more than we deposit? We get an overdraft. There's a default. We, in other words, we, we get into a bad position financially. You ever thought about that relationally? What happens if we're more of a taker than a giver in that friendship? Well, what happens if we're extracting more than we're putting in? Well, Pastor, how, how can I make emotional deposits? I wrote some things down here. Because it's, it's very powerful. Every act of kindness is a deposit in that relationship. We build trust. We respect our friends. Doesn't mean that we don't disagree. Doesn't mean that we have to have all same opinions. But, but, but we, can, we can disputate. We can argue with the right spirit, with the right attitude. And we can converse in a productive, constructive way with our friends. But when we do so, we show respect. And when we show respect, we're making a deposit. Whether that's with a spouse, whether that's with a child, whether that's with a coworker, a neighbor, there's something about making a deposit. A compliment's a deposit. Tell people that you appreciate them, invest in them. I never forget years ago where a friend of mine, it's a little bit awkward. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get transparent here, okay? A buddy of mine said, Man, I, I really love and appreciate you. See, I thought, love. I thought, woof, man, I don't know about that. I mean, isn't that reserved just for this special relationship made with the spouse? Well, not according to the Bible. The Bible uses that language all the time. That we are to love one another as we affirm one another, as we practically communicate appreciation. You know what we're doing? I'll tell you what we're doing. We are depositing in that emotional bank account. But when we, when we withdraw, oh man, when we take out, well, Pastor, how do I make withdrawals? When we don't forgive, when people disappoint us, when we gossip about them, by not keeping our commitments, by not being a giver, only by being a taker. You know how that is in a marriage, in a relationship. We've got to go out of our ways. I've, I heard a friend of mine say one time, a good marriage, listen, you want a great marriage? Outserve one another. You, you remember when you were dating? Let me open the car for you. No, let me open the car for you. Well, let me get it for you. No, let me get it for you. And then after you get married, I mean, my gosh, after a while, she's like, well, you know, why don't you get it yourself? Wait a minute. The same honey that attracted them ought to be the same honey that's given out when, when you've got them, whomever that is. I, I'm asking God, Lord, who are the relationships in my life that you want me to invest in? Principally, of course, my spouse and my four children. The men that I walk with on the lead team, the elders in our church and I have other pastoral friends and other people. I, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that I'm giving more than I'm taking. In other words, I'm I'm putting more into it than I'm extracting out of it. Jonathan was a giver in his relationship with David. Oh yeah, he was. And because of that, I mean, David blossomed. And he went, well, what about Jonathan? Great friendship. Let me say it this way. We've got to learn the power of not focusing on ourselves. And there's great power in it. 
Jesus was an attractive personality. Yes, he was God in the flesh. But part of that was is that he always focused on the good of others. And you know what ends up happening? You know what ends up happening? You go to a funeral of somebody that actually lived this way, and it's filled. I went to a funeral recently, and I thought to myself, I want that many people to say that about me when I pass. You can be that man. You can be that woman. Jonathan was. He learned the secret, the art of friendship. He learned the power of making deposits more than withdrawals. I'll close with this. Number one, if you want to be that friend, we are, we are all, as a, as a nation, really the world, but I want to focus on our nation is a moment we're coming out of isolation we're re-engaging and some of our relationships needs a, we, we need a little bit of work let's learn from Jonathan number one let's focus in on the strengths of our friends not not capitalize on their weaknesses doesn't mean we don't speak the truth and love to them when they need to hear it but let's consistently focus it on the good things about them number two let's watch our words Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words, that's not true. Words kill. The Bible says death and life. Watch our words. And number three, let's practically invest. Let's roll up our sleeves. How can I serve you, man? What can I do to help enlarge your world and your life? That's true friendship. You know, I think the first step of becoming a true friend is receiving the ultimate friend, Jesus Christ. And I never like to finish our program without giving you an opportunity. Maybe you've been watching for a few weeks, or maybe this is the first time. I'm so honored that you've tuned in. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is a friend. Listen, he is a, a friend that sticks. There's a friendship that Jesus offers to you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. He's our elder brother, biblically speaking. The Bible says that when we receive Christ, choose to yield our hearts to Christ and we receive Christ and God's friendship with us through the person of Christ, our life is changed and actually gives us the strength to become that to other people. Not their Savior, but their helper, their encourager, the one that can build up their lives. Question, do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today you're ready to stand before God? Would you just bow your heads right now? Lord Jesus, I'm asking you right now by the power of your Spirit, Lord, draw people to you. You love people. You love us, oh God. I'm going to pray a prayer with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray a prayer, and it's a prayer of salvation. It's how you give your heart to Christ, and it's, it's like this. Please feel free to pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I turn to the cross. I turn to you. Come into my life. Wash me of my sin. In your name I pray.